Hello, brothers. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, it's very fitting that we're going to be in Genesis 32 for our last amen of this semester. And I would confess to you that uh, the study this week for me has been personally uh, an emotional journey. Um, and that's because many years ago, the Lord used these verses, the ones we're about to read, to mark a significant moment in my life, to really uh, minister His grace in my life. At that time, I had been struggling with an addiction for over 10 years. And I was seeing this counselor to try to help me uh, through this or help me over it. And uh, at one point in the counseling, they said to me, he said to me, hey, listen, you need to... Uh, you need to go ahead and wrestle with God. In fact, Todd, that's your assignment. This week, I need you to wrestle with God. Well, I was uh, I was too embarrassed to tell the counselor that I didn't I didn't really know what they meant, um, and I didn't know how to wrestle with God. So I just said, "Sure, uh, yes, I'll do that." And then later on, I had to figure out how do I wrestle with the Lord? What does that mean? Well, as we'll see in the verses and see in our study at this time that. Um, that Jacob, too, had to wrestle with God. And he sensed it. He sensed it, we know, because he he left Haran, where he had been uh, for many, many years, serving Laban. And now he was going back to the place where God had promised him. And geographically, we know, he didn't have to go where he went to meet Esau. But spiritually, he did have to go there. And he doesn't know how much he needs this spiritually, but he's about to find out how dramatic it's going to be and, and how much it will mean to him. So let's read uh, together Genesis 32, beginning at verse 1, going through verse 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the place, he called the name of that place, Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are about four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with you only my staff, with <clears throat> excuse me, for with my only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, 
which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for uh, for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are present, sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word, we would ask that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit, even though this is being done remotely and we may be listening at all different times. Lord, we know that your spirit prevails. We know that your spirit has something to reveal to us through your word. So please, Heavenly Father, speak to us. Speak to us personally through your word. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, let's be careful to make sure we understand the context here before we move into the passage. As we said before, Jacob is returning home, returning home to what God has promised. And he is a blessed man. He is a wealthy man. I mean, blessed by human standards, best blessed by earthly standards. But it's clear, and we know this from the study before going all the way back to the early chapters 26 and 27, 
we know that he has an unreconciled relationship with his brother. And as we said earlier, uh, geographically, he didn't have to go this way. But spiritually, he sensed, I need to fix this. I need to heal this relationship. It's, it's possible and probable that his father had died by this time. And so he was going to meet Esau to clear things up. And we see right away, as you see there in your notes, that there's still some scheming left in Jacob. There's still some, some of the, the old, hey, I've got a plan. I can plot this out. I can manipulate. I can do these things. We know that he has been a schemer. We know that, that though the name Jacob meant heel grabber, uh, it meant something more. It came to mean something more because it, it came to mean that or heel grabbing came to mean someone who was uh, trying to, to wrestle with people, trying to manipulate, trying to scheme and plan. And, and there's a little bit of this going on here. But also what's going on is we see the presence of God. We see God's grace continuing on as God promised to be in Jacob's life. And so as Jacob's traveling to meet Esau, he said, he's, it said, uh, the text said he's met by these angels. And he immediately names the place Mahanehem, which means literally two camps. And what he's saying there is, I know that there's a camp I'm going to make, but there's also angels encamped around this place. God is with me. God is encamped here. And that's where we get this idea of, of uh, angels encamping around his holy ones, his chosen ones. And he goes on, he sends this message to Esau. And the message to Esau is this, I'm, I'm ready to make amends with you. Uh, it's clear by the way that he's uh, telling his um his uh, servant to go ahead and and communicate with Esau. Hey, let him know that I've got a lot of wealth and let him know that I'm calling him my Lord. Basically, let him know that I'm ready to to make things right. And while there there is partly a a growing uh, man of God here, there is also still left over some of this scheming, some of this self-reliance. Jacob is still scheming. At least that's what I think. And then he gets the answer from uh, Esau, and it's it's a disturbing answer. We don't we don't know exactly all that was in this. All we know is the words that we have there in the text, and those words would have been disturbing. Um, the, the, the servant says, "Hey, Esau is coming to meet you with four hundred men." That was basically a standing army back in those days. Um, what, what Jacob would have heard was, uh, your brother's coming, and uh, he's got his militia with him. And so we understand in verse 7, when Jacob says he's greatly afraid and he's distressed, we understand that. Uh, he, of course, is thinking, Esau's coming to destroy me. Esau's coming to get his revenge, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, he continues on, maybe planning, maybe scheming. I mean, we don't want to be too hard on Jacob, but we do understand that he's still a work in progress. He divides his camp, and he divides his camp. His little scheme is this. Listen, I'm going to take half my wealth and put it over here, my other half over here. Maybe Jacob, uh, Esau will just run into this, and he'll he'll think that's it, and he'll destroy it and think that he has he has destroyed me. But the bottom line is this, 
Jacob is realizing that he's out of resources. Jacob is realizing that that he's running out of what he's always relied upon to get by in life. That his that his plan may not work this time. That his scheming may not produce what he needs. That despite his great wealth, despite his great power, despite his great mind, he may be coming to an end. There may be nothing he can do to stop what's coming towards him with Esau and these 400 men. He's out of resources. He's distressed. He's greatly afraid. Brothers, that's often a great place for us to be. It's often a great place, a thing for us to be in a place where we are out of resources, where, where we don't have any self-sufficiency to fix the thing that's before us, because it's in that place that the Lord can work in us. When finally our stuff runs out, our power runs out, our self-sufficiency runs out, our resources run out, and we come to that place where we're afraid and where we're distressed, it's in that place that the Lord can work. And so at this point, we see that Jacob turns to prayer. This has always been convicting uh, to me personally. Uh, again, not to be too hard on Jacob, but it seems like he schemes and plans first, and then it takes all the way to verse 9 until he prays. And oftentimes, brothers, that's what I can do. I can plan, I can plot, I can use my own um problem-solving skills. And then when I feel overwhelmed, and then when I feel like I've run out of resources, then I turn to the Lord in prayer. And I'm reminded even as we look at that, this right now, I need to turn to the Lord first. I need to go to prayer first and not immediately jump to making a plan. Not that making a plan is a bad thing. It's just the order in which we do these things. Are we seeking the Lord first? Now, this prayer is an absolutely beautiful prayer. It, it really is. In, in, in the way it's structured, um, it's clear that the Spirit of the Lord is working in Jacob. This is the first prayer we have recorded of Jacob, unless you, you would want to say that his conversation with uh, the Lord in chapter 28 was a prayer, but it seems like no, this is different. This is different than what we see in chapter 28. He's, his relationship with the Lord is different. Um, he acknowledges in this prayer, he acknowledges God's strength. He acknowledges God's greatness, God's word, God's promises. And he also admits his own frailty. I love what it says in verse 11. Please deliver me. I've got nothing. Other texts, all other uh, translations say, Lord, save me. I've got nothing but you. I, I, I'm out of anything that can save myself. It's an absolutely beautiful prayer. And then comes the night. This night where it, it begins with uh, uh, Jacob again um, making a plan, instituting a plan, and, and he's, he's wanting to appease his brother. He makes that clear. And so he, he takes this extravagant gift. Um, when you count up all the cattle that are uh, involved in this, I think it's 550. Um, 
It's, it's an astounding gift. In fact, commentators would say this was truly a, a gift for a king. This is what entire cities would offer uh, to a king, a conquering king who, who might take over their city. Here is an individual. Clearly, uh, Jacob is a vastly wealthy man, and he prepares this extravagant gift, and he spaces it out on purpose in order that the impact of the gift might somehow appease uh, the, the vengefulness that he fears his brother has for him. This is after the prayer. So maybe this is somewhat in response to trusting the Lord. Uh, again, don't want to be too hard on Jacob. Um, but this is what we see here. This is what he's doing. But then the night continues and things get more distressful, more lonely because this is going out, but Jacob doesn't know the response. We see there in verse 21, it says, So the present passed on ahead of Jacob, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. That same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, notice that, verse 23, everything else that he had, And then verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. So now he's alone. No possessions. No family. Only Jacob. Only Jacob. No resources. And it's in that place, in that darkness, that God comes to the camp. Says, Uh, literally angel of the Lord. And uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Hosea um, chapter 12, uh, and you can keep your finger in there, Hosea chapter 12 speaks of this, uh, um, verse 3 and 4, talks about him striving with God. So we know that this angel was was most likely more than an, an angel. Um, it seems it was the the army, the captain of the army of the Lord, like Joshua met in Joshua chapter five. Um, this appears to be a, a pre-incarnate appearance of God, though Jacob doesn't know that right away. He just knows it's a man, and they begin to wrestle. Um, do we know exactly? how physical this wrestling was? Well, certainly it was physical because we're going to see um, his hip is taken out of joint, um, out of socket. Um, But there's probably a lot more spiritual wrestling. Nevertheless, these things are connected. There's an emotional, spiritual, physical wrestling that goes on for hours upon hours upon hours in the night. Jacob has wrestled his whole life with others. He's tried to to wrestle a blessing out of his father, wrestle blessing out of his uncle, wrestle blessing through his wives, wrestle blessing through wealth, always wrestling his whole life with others when the real issue, and God knew this, the real issue was the wrestling he needed to do with God. The real place where Jacob needed to do business was with the Lord. And so the Lord in his grace comes in that 
moment. And we know that that it's the Lord letting Jacob wrestle with him. Why do do we know this? How do we know that he was letting him wrestle uh, with, that God was letting him wrestle? Well, we we see there in these verses, um, verse uh, 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, meaning that Jacob wasn't going to let go, it says that, that, that God touched his hip socket and, and took his, his, his hip out of a socket. Um, basically, what we have here is God is allowing Jacob to wrestle with him. That's part of the grace. Uh, one pastor puts it this way. You, you remember, for those of you who have been blessed with sons, um, when your son was little, you know, five years old, six years old, seven years old, wanted to wrestle with you. And you would wrestle with him. And at any moment, you could pin him. Any moment, you could just tighten his arms. You, you, didn't, you didn't have to let him wrestle. Your strength was overwhelming compared to his. But you understood how to apply just enough strength to keep the wrestling going and not to overwhelm him. It seems that this is what God is doing with Jacob. He is allowing Jacob to wrestle with him because we see the power. He can just touch Jacob and boom, his hip comes out of socket. You see, brothers, in this wrestling, this was the grip of grace. Jacob sought blessing in so many other things. And now God is showing him Jacob, I'm the one through whom all blessing comes. In fact, I myself am the blessing. And God, even in his allowing Jacob to grip him, is actually the one who's gripping Jacob. He's the one who has been gripping Jacob from the very moment he was in his mother's womb. And all along being held in the grip of grace, God has been doing his work. Sinclair Ferguson, in teaching on this passage, says this. Here's Jacob with his hands, always doing stuff with his hands, you know, grabbing his his brother's heel as he comes out of his mother's womb with his hands, going to his father with his hands, working with his hands. Here he's now wrestling with his hands and saying to God, I want blessing. God, I want What is in your hand? And God responds, I cannot give you what is in my hand until you let go of what is in your hand. This is the wrestling. This wrestling for blessing. And then we pick up here in these verses, verse 26, we see now this blessing that God gives. It's astounding. Then God says, let go of me for the day has broken. Why is he saying that? Well, because we know from uh, his interaction with Moses and the other place, God says, you cannot see my face and live. And so again, his grace is a protecting grace. I cannot let you see my face at this point uh, here on earth, or you will not be able to live, Jacob. You must let me go so you cannot see my face. And Jacob responds, I I am not going to let you go until you bless me. 
I know you're the blessing I've always longed for. I've always wanted. And God says to him, what is your name? Why does he say, what is your name? Because as we've already talked about many times over, the name, your name was not just what people called you. It was your character. And in this place, it was a damning character for Jacob. What just meant someone who grabs the heel has now come to mean heel grabber, schemer, plotter, cheater. And he wants Jacob to say it. Jacob, who have you become? What is it you need to confess to me? And he says, I'm Jacob. I'm the cheater. I'm the schemer. I'm the plotter. That is my name. I have been grabbing a hold of men my whole life. And God says, in immense grace, your name is no longer going to be called Jacob. Instead, you will be called Israel. You will be called the one who has prevailed with God because now you have grabbed a hold of God. And more importantly, God has grabbed a hold of you. And look what it then says as he uh, uh, moves on through the blessing. He says, Jacob says, verse 30, I'm going to call this place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. That's what Peniel means. It means seeing God face to face. And he says, my life has been delivered by this God. And that's the answer to the prayer of verse 11. Lord, please deliver me. And Jacob thinks it's from his brother. And he doesn't realize that it's from himself. It's from the wrath of God. It's from the seeking after other blessings his whole life and never seeking the blessing of God. And here he wrestles with God and God in his grace says, I'm going to give you that blessing and I'm going to give you a new name. And Jacob realizes God has delivered me. He has delivered me. And then finally, brothers, And we don't want to miss this. See in verse 31 through 32, see the limp. Don't miss this limp. It's an easy part to miss and just think, oh, well, that's what happened. He had his hip out of socket. Oh, don't you see? God graciously marked this moment so that that Jacob, his whole life, would never forget what God did in this night. That every step Jacob took the rest of his life, every step he took, He would remember the grace of God. He would remember that he's no longer Jacob. He is now Israel. He would remember, hey, I've tried to grab a hold of other people my whole life, but now I've grabbed a hold of God. And more importantly, God has grabbed a hold of me. Oh, brothers, it's a beautiful thing when you see men and you've seen them like I do. When you see men who walk with the limp of grace. It's beautiful and powerful. Well, that night, many years ago, I did end up wrestling with God. I walked into our little living room and I sat down and I opened up my Bible and I just began to read this passage. And as I began to read and I began to think about this wrestling, 
like a flood, all the the anger and the disappointment and, and the confession, all of it just came flooding out of me. I had never wrestled with God. I'd never said, God, this is why I'm upset. This is why I, I'm struggling. This is my disappointment. I'd never let it all out. I'd never really wrestled. And God, in His grace, let me wrestle with Him. In His power, He let me wrestle with Him. And there in that night, I said over and over again, why won't you bless me? Why won't you bless me? And in His grace, through His word, God said to me that night, Todd, your name shall no longer be this. But in my grace, I will now call you mine. Hmm. I wonder, do you need to wrestle with God yourself? Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you been wrestling with other things your whole life and you have never really experienced the blessing of God? Is there something in your hand that you're holding on to tightly that you need to let go of? Maybe God has been wrestling with you through this whole pandemic thing. Maybe it has taken away, like it has for many of us, a lot of our self-sufficiency. A lot of our resources, and we feel afraid and we feel distressed. Can I tell you, brothers, would you cling to him? Would you wrestle with him? Would you let him undo your self-sufficiency? And would you rest yourself in his powerful grip of grace? you pray with me, brothers? Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. We would ask that you would seal these things to our hearts, that we might truly know by your Spirit's power that grip of grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.